eager to start this conversation with my friend, Greg McDonough. We started having these conversations a couple of years ago about storytelling and identity and being present and how we share things about ourselves in a way that is compelling and inspiring as opposed to bragging or bringing people down into a, a tragedy. And um, I'm just, I'm really excited to hear how things have changed for Greg over the last couple of years as we've gotten into these conversations. Greg, thank you so much for joining me today. Sarah, it's an absolute pleasure. It was nice seeing you again. Thank you. Well, we always get started with a little quick question. I'd love for you to share something with the audience about yourself that most people might not know about you. Something that's not on your LinkedIn profile or on your resume. Something that um, maybe people from your past would know, but no one in your present life. Yeah, great question. And a bunch of things are jumping in into my mind. So I'll, I'll give you both. And it's funny, I was thinking about our conversation today, this morning, especially around story. Anyway, we'll get into that later. But the two that come into mind that aren't on my LinkedIn profile, that current relationships probably don't know. Number one is when I was four years old, um, I decided to fall asleep on a windowsill in my home, second story windowsill. And my mother came, discovered me as she walked out the front door and I was laying there unconscious, bleeding from the eyes, you know, nose and ears. And my head was about four inches from the concrete slab. Um, and I reflect on that a lot because it, it sort of guides me in my positive journey through life. Um, the second one that I don't talk about as often, um, and it's a huge part of my past, is my older brother is handicapped. He was a mentally handicapped, born with a disability. And um, again, another aspect of my life that provides positivity because he lives his life to the fullest every day. He's in a community in Southern Virginia um, and he's happy and he's happy with the things that he can do and can't do. And so, again, it, it's I don't talk about it a lot. Um, if you really knew me, you'd know those stories. It's one of those types of things. But those two came to mind when you asked that question, Sarah. I, I love that you, first of all, you told the stories that demonstrate one of your top strengths, which is positivity. And we, <laughs> I love that we did that StrengthsFinder work together because I'm hearing all of this, your strengths are your stories, which is something that I've been saying for so many years. And I love hearing these stories because they do, they inform your personality, they inform how you approach problems and um, how you approach relationships. This is going to be good. You know, that that optimism, I consider myself an optimistic person, but I don't have positivity in my top talents. And that's because it's not my first approach to relationship or solving a problem. I'm very strategic. Like I go straight into strategy and I love knowing that there are people out there like you who see things from that prism, you know, that, that different perspective of this is going to be good right off the bat. So yeah. thank you. Of course. Um, it's a fun place to live, but also frustrating as well, because you want the outcome to get here faster than it tends to, but that's life. Yes. Well, I hear that. And a lot of people with positivity have that. All of these strengths come with um, benefits and disadvantages. You know, they're all double-edged. And 
one of the negatives of having positivity in your top talents is simply that sometimes people don't believe you. Like they just, they think, oh no, he can't be that positive. He's not actually seeing the reality. <laughs> and that's not the case with positivity people. They just simply know it's going to be okay. They're going to, they're going to find a way to make this okay. Even if it's tragic, they'll find the light in it. And if we don't have more people like that around or value that talent, where are we really? Ooh, I don't even want to think about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Highly underestimated people with positivity often get underestimated in their work, especially women. It's crazy. They're like, oh, she's such a Pollyanna. (laughs) I can't even tell you how many times I've heard people describe like that with positivity in their top talents. It's like, oh, no. They're a cheerleader. Everybody needs a cheerleader. That's right. That's exactly right. Wow. Yeah, those are great stories for this. Let's let's kind of merge into what you do so that our listeners have a little bit of um, context for this conversation. Um, what, tell me a story about a client you work with so that they can get, so our listeners can have an idea of what you do. Yeah. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. Um, and the one that came is coming to mind is is probably my favorite story. So this is an interior designer who lives and works out of Manhattan up in New York. And she does these home interiors that just take your breath away, right? And you're thinking about the Hamptons, you're thinking about apartments down in Manhattan. These are, are her clients are very well known. And I received a text from her Um last April is probably April 10th, right? So five days before tax time. And she sends me this text and it says, Greg, I've never been so excited during tax time until now. And the reason is I've got my tax bill and for easy math, let's say it's $2 and I've got $3 in my bank account for my set aside for my taxes. And this is something that her and I had worked on for the entire year that every time she earned had a check deposited. We use this methodology called Profit First that Mike Michalowicz came up with. And we allocate her income into different buckets and into different bank accounts so that we ignore it across the year. And when the big bill comes, you have funding to pay your bill. And so there was a great illustration of how I work with my clients. So, so here's an interior designer who the last thing that she wants to deal with is finances and loves to look at the bank account and say, oh, I've got X amount of dollars to spend. Let's go spend it or let's hire somebody or whatever. Not thinking longer term. And so her and I have developed a rhythm and and along with a lot of other dashboards to help her manage her business. But as we stand today, I can articulate and, and work with her and say, look, by the end of the year, client, you should have this amount of cash in your bank. You're able to hire these types of people. Let's go out and find this type of client to fill in our revenue gaps. And so it becomes a lot more strategic. She is now using her finances as a strategy and a tool versus an outcome. Oh, my gosh. That line, she's using her finances as a strategy and a tool versus an outcome. I never would have thought of that because, as you know, I'm in the same boat. I'm like... Oh, I have this much money in my bank account. That must mean I'm okay. <laughs> I'm not really thinking in terms of profit and loss and balance sheet. 
Oh my gosh, that's a perfect illustration of what you do. Thank you. I give you, you're welcome. And there's another one that pops in my head. And this is around the employee retention tax credit. And this is work that I've been specializing in for the last probably year. Um, and I won't bore you with the details, but at the end of the day, I have about, I've worked about 15 different clients to utilize this program. And over those 15 clients, they've received or will receive about one and a half million dollars worth of tax refunds. And it's a, many businesses are eligible for it if they had these declines and these things that help them qualify. But again, back to your question of what I do is like, I help these companies find these opportunities to leverage their finance, improve their cash flow, et cetera, et cetera. Which has big effects. We're not talking just their finances. It's not just their bottom line. This employee retention credit means I get to keep my employees. They get to stay working, doing what I want them to do and loving their jobs and bringing home funding and income for their families. I mean, this isn't just about the bottom line, which is why I think your story can be so compelling the way that you've told it over the years that I've known you. Because you're not you you say, well, yeah, now now their finances are in order and they're taking advantage and leveraging these tax credits or whatever it is, these programs. But I know the backstory. I know what this means for them as business owners. They feel more successful. They don't look at it as, oh my gosh, this has been such a shitty year. It's been so hard. They're looking at it like, oh my gosh, I I'm doing okay despite all of the uncertainty and difficulties that we've been facing. That's right. Because I have this this guy who's showing me how I can do this in a way that I don't have to know all the details. I just need to know that I'm okay and that my employees are okay. Well said. (laughs) Uh, Well, that's, that's what I think about because I know that that's part of your why is that ability to give people that peace of mind about their finances, people who don't like to think about those things or, mm-hmm. or don't have the capacity necessarily. I mean, I, I suppose that I, I'm, I'm well-educated. I have a business degree and an MBA. I suppose that if I really wanted to get into these details in my business, I could, but it would rip my soul out of my body. <laughs> so I hire somebody to do those things. That's right. It's as my coach says, right? It's, you know, walk through the door that's open. And if you can find somebody to take care of, help you in those blind spots in your life, then go for it. You should go for it. Like, do stick stick with your A work. Right. Stop banging your head against the door trying to open it, a locked door, right? right? Or even a jammed door because you, you tell yourself you aren't good at something. How many of us say, I'm just not good at the finance stuff? And, Maybe you're not, but maybe you just don't like it. It's not that you can't be good at it, but it's not your focus. So I love that. Go through the open door. Why why are you fighting this? (laughs) I just had this conversation with another friend that years ago at the No Longer Virtual in 2018 in Denver, my friend Ben Walker was doing a session with my brother, Eric Elkins, on scaling your business. And everything was like gold that they were sharing. It was when Penn said, you started your business because you're good at A, B, and C, right? You, you're passionate about it. You love it. It's meaningful work to you. So if you're doing D, E, and F on a daily basis, you're leaving money on the table. That's right. Oh, That's exactly right. 
Yeah. yeah. Oh and, my gosh. I was in a presentation recently with this gentleman, Jack Daly, and he's got the very similar concept. And his tool is you kind of write down all the things that you've done during the day. And then you circle the ones that are high value to you and your business and everything else you need to delegate. You need to find either stop doing it because you're not going anywhere or delegate it to somebody who can do it more effectively. Exactly. I mean, you can even look through it and say, why am I doing this? Or why am I doing it this way? Isn't there a simpler way that I could be doing this? Or is somebody else around that I could pay to do this? Right. I love the idea of just crossing some of them out. Like what? This is not bringing me value. And narrowing that down. I mean, I'm not great at narrowing because I have this adaptability in my top down. So I like to change things up regularly, but I I love that idea. And that's actually what my business coach had me do was write down all the tasks and then say, well, what do you, what needs to be done? What absolutely has to be done? Move those over to the next column. And then what can you delegate? Move those over to the next column. And then is that one position? Is that two positions? Move those into their own columns. Oh my gosh. It was like this light bulb went full on bright in my head. Oh my gosh, this is like amazing. <laughs> well, and it's hard, right? I mean, my I feel like I'm most productive at work when my inbox is almost at zero. Like I've cleared out all these emails. And so it's usually the first thing that I tackle in the morning. And it's a complete waste of my talent and time because I'm a morning person. I'm high energy. I'm strategy. I, this is where I should be <laughs> most creative. And I'm deleting emails from newsletters. I mean, this is... <laughs> so it's hard to implement, right? You could say the words, but it's also very difficult to actually take action. And so I get it. I get it. Why finance right. isn't somebody else's genius work and it is mine. So I'm, I get, I'm lucky that way. You are lucky that way. I mean, and I'm lucky that way because I know you. So that that helps. <laughs> so are your clients. So let's um, let's kind of shift back into this this experience that we had together of learning which stories to share and how to share them, and even more importantly, what the effect of that has been in terms of your state of mind and your your ability to be more present. So last year. After I worked together, you mentioned a conversation with you had that you had with your neighbor. And the reason this keeps popping up in my head is because when we first started working together, you said, I want to tell these stories, but I don't want to sound like I'm bragging. This is, I mean, I know my privilege. I understand where I am in life. And I don't ever want that to separate me from my audience. I want to connect with my audience. And I want to do it in an inspiring way. And um, I don't want to brag. So we worked together. We figured out some of the, the stories like your four-year-old self falling out of a windowsill, choosing to fall asleep in a windowsill, which, you know, four-year-olds. My older son, when he was four, took scissors, cut through the screen on his window and went out onto his the, the top of our bay window, which is an angled reflective tin roof about 14 feet up and he was out there playing with his truck on there so four-year-olds do these things just in case we have listeners who haven't ever had a four-year-old <laughs> anyway um so i'd love to hear the story that you shared with me about talking to your neighbor certainly so um so we moved out 
to Northern Virginia from the city, I guess just at the beginning of the pandemic. So we kind of were in that wave. And one of the reasons we moved in the house we did was I've been friends with my now next door neighbor for the last 10 years. And so him and I have run businesses together. We're part of this entrepreneurs organization. We were in our forums. So we'd meet once a month. And so we really have a very tight relationship. And over that time, he was also fortunate enough to sell his business. And he ran it in a way over the 25 years that he built that business. He ran it in a way that was very, I don't know, disciplined, you know, didn't cut any corners, kept his documentation clean. And so he ended up with a great transaction. And once he sold, he had enough capital um, that he was able to take his entire summer off. In fact, he's probably finished the rest of his life, but he he doesn't want to admit that yet. But, <laughs> but he took the entire summer off. They bought this conversion van, called it Big Red, and him and his wife and his dog and his two kids piled into it. And that summer, that first summer of COVID, they visited all 48 states. And before they launched, he was talking about um, building a Facebook page so that people could see where they are, see their pictures, whichever else. And one of the things that he said to me was, look, I hesitate to do this because I don't want this to look like I'm bragging. Like, hey, I just sold my business. I've got all this cash. I'm able to spend the summer off and you know drive thousands and thousands of miles to visit and meet all these people in parks and whatever else. And I was reflecting back our conversation around how it isn't about how it's not about his story. It's about how his audience receives it. And there's many, many people out there that want the inspiration. They want the can-do attitude. They want to see the natural parks. They want to understand if they if they that this can be done right they they want to see and un, and believe that a journey like this that he is about to embark on is actually you know able to be completed um and so it kind of as him and I talked through it it changed his mindset about his trip and then of course now his facebook page is blowing up with their second trip because they're doing it again this summer um <laughs> but again it was reflecting back on our conversations and then using that language to help him see his stories in a different way really opened the door for him to say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to push this out there. And, and the website is amazing and his photographs are incredible. And, you know, it just, you, know, you could probably hear it in my voice, like the energy level of just seeing his activities um, is completely different than it would have been if he just sort of took digital photos and left them on a USB drive. I love that. I love, first of all, I love that you had the, the relationship with him, that you could say these things to him. And not only that you could say them, but that he'd be open to them enough to change his, his framing of what he was doing. And part of what just popped into my head was you changed the way he framed his whole trip in his own head. So we talked a lot about how your stories that you tell can change your internal messages. It can change how you're viewing your experience of your life or the, the past as you're telling the story. You can change your own experience within it because you're learning lessons from it. You're experiencing it from a different perspective. If you're looking back at a story and telling it in the current time. But what you did is you changed his 
his framing of his of the trip itself before he even started it. Yeah, and another ask, part I'd add to that, Sarah, is the same convers similar conversation, or probably was even the same conversation about how this trip. It's not just about the trip, right? It's about all the things that he did that allowed him to accomplish this trip, right? It was the twenty five years running a business. The first ten years, he's basically eating cup of noodles and living in his car. I mean, literally, this uh -huh. guy was scraped by. And he was one of the first sort of in the cloud computer support companies. Um, and so he had like, but if, to your point, right, you, you sort of ignore all those sacrifices and pain points you might have gone through. And all you look at is the current moment story. And you're like, oh, yeah, this does look like I'm bragging. Well, it's not. It's really the bookend of what you've done over the last 25 years. And yeah, go celebrate it. And you, you've earned it. Right. And it's people want to hear that success story. There's many entrepreneurs out there who are fighting through their business, who would love to hear a story about a successful exit in some sort of journey. That's not back in a business. Exactly. So you start with the obstacle. You don't start with the, here I am on this trip in an RV crossing the country. You start with I was eating cup noodle soup for 10 years, right? You start with, I was there and this is what my experience was. And then you come to this and, and now look at what I'm doing because I made these choices because I worked with these people and I listened to my gut and, you know, I, I scrimped and all of those things. And now, now I'm enjoying this. And I was thinking about your experience when you were um, training for uh, Ironman competition and how you were telling me that you had done this and it was like this huge accomplishment for you. And then I said, well, where did you start? Did you just start super fit and you just knew you could do it? And you're like, no. <laughs> I said, well, tell me about your first really hard trip. And you told me about your your 100 mile bike ride. So tell me about that again. I would love for our listeners to hear. Yeah, thanks that. for bringing that up. <laughs> my palms <laughs> are sweating. Like, um, yeah, so my wife and I were training for Lake Ironman Lake Placid, and it was going to be her fourth race, and it would be my first. And I've I've done up till then. I'd done, I think, three <clears throat> half Ironman races and a bunch of long distance swimming. Um, so I've had like the athletic part in my history. Um, I've never been like super fit, you know, like the six pack type of guy, but fit enough to get to the finish line. And so, um, for training, so we start about nine months before the race day and each week you sort of accumulate your volume and swimming, running and biking. And as you get to the end or very close to the race, you're doing hundred mile bike rides, you're doing 18 mile runs and you're probably swimming, you know, an hour and a half in the pool. And the week before this story, um, we did probably a 90 mile bike ride and it was pretty flat conditions. And then the following week we needed to do a hundred mile century ride. And we changed the conditions to put some climbing in. Cause like Placid, you need to, there's a lot of hills. So you need to get your climbing. And the lesson learned just to jump to that real quick was changing your distance and your conditions is not a good idea. <laughs> so fast forward, right? We're into the ride. We're into, I don't know, mile 
60, 60, 70, and it's a hotter day than I expected. And <clears throat> we're going up this mountain called Mount Weather. And it's probably a mile climb. That's pretty steep. So I get up there and I'm okay. Get across the other end and we come back down the other side. And now we circle back about another 20 miles. And now we have to do the reverse. We have to go back up and then come back down. And I turned to my wife and this other riding partner. I was like, there's no way that I can do this. Like I am fatigued. My legs are shot. I'm low on water. And he, the riding partner goes, oh, you can, there's like a side route you can go around. Well, of course, the side ride I learned actually was a gravelly road. And these types of bikes are very thin tires. And so I was worrying about flatting, get through that segment. And now I'm on this highway, basically doing half the climb. And there's these semi trucks going 60 miles an hour on a shoulder that's, you know, probably two feet wide, right? <sighs> So eventually I decided, you know what, I, riding my bike, being lightheaded is not a good idea. So I walk up this hill, um, finally get to the top, and then I could coast down to the place that we always meet. And so we got back together and just going through that you know, episode, um, and we probably had another 20 miles to ride to get back to the car. And I turned to my wife and I said, look, you need to go get the car because I can't finish this. Like, I'm just done. Um, and so we sat there for a little bit and we had some food and some junk food and some soda and just got the energy level. And, and my wife goes, you know what, let's just get five miles down the road. And it's like, okay, I can do five miles. And then five turned into 10 and then 10 turned into 15. And then you start feeling like, oh, I'm back on the flat trail. And I know the car is only 20 minutes away. And I eventually got back to the car. Um, and of course you feel terrible, like you're exhausted your emotions are shattered, but you start getting over it, you know, one day after the other, and then fast forward to the race, right? There, the hills are bigger and like placid, the conditions were more difficult. I mean, it was raining, thunder, oh. lightning, that type of conditions. I had three flat tires, you name it. But I always, I kept reflecting back to that terrible training day and telling myself, you know what? It's not as bad as that day was. And then you get to the finish line and it's awesome. And anyway, so yeah, thanks for the sweaty palms and the <laughs> bringing back that memory. Well, I love that story because the way that you tell it makes it really clear that this wasn't an easy thing. And mm -hmm. when you're telling a story, just like your neighbor, when you're telling a story that has a, a very cool and inspiring ending, if you start with, this was hard, this is this is what I went through to do this. And I had to decide to do it. And, and my wife was like trying to support me and still encourage me and still push me because she knew what I was capable of. Like all of that comes together in that story in such a, a powerful way. That's, that's why I love it. That's why I went ahead and, you know, didn't care that your palms were getting sweaty just thinking about it. <laughs> well, it's well, not that Sarah. I didn't care. <laughs> um, and this still happens to me on these race days. You know, I get to the finish line and you get overwhelmed with some emotion of accomplishment and pride. And, you know, it, and it takes a village, right? It takes, you know, my parents watching the kids while we go train or while we're at the race or, you know, clients being flexible with my work schedule because I need to go take a bike ride on a Friday or whatever. Like, so it takes babysitters and meal plans, you name it. 
but it's still amazing to me. Like when I cross the line, all this emotion and, and gratitude comes in first. And then it's like, well, if I could do it, anyone could do it. And then <laughs> that reflects back to your storytelling. It's not just the race day that's the highlight. It's the journey till you get to the race day and what you had to accomplish in order to know your limit and understand your outcome. And so. Exactly. Exactly. So when you think about um, your, your storytelling journey and along with the strengths finder, cause we started with that so that we would know what the best path would be for you to start this journey. When you think about that. Wh- what do you think is the significance well, yeah. So one big change for me is I'm now more present in my story building, I guess it is how I would describe it. So I think about things and situations that I'm in or dealing with my kids or conversation with my wife. I'm like, okay, three years from now, when I'm telling the story about what's going on right now, what's going to be important or what's going to come out of my mouth. Um, I think about that too, if I'm going for a walk and I've got my phone in my pocket, like what kind of cool pictures could I capture in this moment? Not just for storytelling and being on the stage or whichever, it's also for, hey, I've got blog posts. Like wouldn't that sort of cool golf flag be a fun blog post about, you know, whatever my passion for golf or something to that effect. And so back to your question, it's made me a lot more conscious about where I am in the moment and how the moment's going to reflect in my stories going forward. Mm, perfect. Wow. <laughs> well, yes. If I'm doing and, it right. <laughs> and when we were working together, you were getting ready for um, a big uh, entrepreneur organization presentation where you were kind of emceeing, right? That's right. And how and what was the impact on that? What, did you feel more confident? What what changed? Um, I definitely felt more confident, and the the amount of detail in my presentation. So I was becoming the chapter president of the Entrepreneurs Organization of Washington D.C. at at a time that we're the beginning of COVID. So not only was I kind of required to step on the stage and and motivate my board um and and set my vision for the year but I had to do that over Zoom right and and I wasn't as comfortable over Zoom as I am hopefully today but the the work that we were doing together really pushed me to add a lot more detail to the stories um that I was using to sort of motivate. And back to your point, one of the things was like the why. Why am I stepping up to volunteer for this role when, you know, it's hundreds and hundreds of hours? There's only sort of the emotional return. Um, well, that's not entirely true. But anyway, but I use that the story about Paul. And I'm like, this is the why I do this. Cause I feel like the more I give, the more I get. And Paul has his handicap and he's always positive and I want us to be positive. And, th- and so it truly, you know, it took me a long time to actually watch the video because we recorded it. Um, <laughs> but I it know quickly that allowed me, right. allowed me to connect with who I'm trying to connect with in a deeper level 
and truly the last two years, and I just, you know, my last day as chapter president was this past June, it was probably the most successful time period in our organization's history. And it wasn't because of me necessarily, but it was because the people that came to the table and how they performed and how we stuck together and got through this pandemic. And so a lot of that I can attribute back to, you know, the storytelling and the positivity and, and like how I set the stage when, when we began that journey. Mm, wow. That is so meaningful. When you think about the ripple effect of being able to share an inspiring story that's relevant. You know, this isn't just, I can do this so anyone can do it. That's right. Wow. I, I'm still, I'm, I'm like in my head right now. I have ideation in my top talents. <laughs> that's like a hamster on a wheel. <laughs> so all these ideas are popping into my head like sparks. So let's, let's come full circle um, back into your work. When you think about um, your work with clients and how that has shifted, partly because of your presence of mind and your confidence in understanding really where your talent is, the beauty that comes out of living there in those, in those, um, in your ability to bring that sense of comfort to people as you're working with them around something that most people are really uncomfortable with. I would say that finance is something most people aren't super comfortable with. And you have this magical way of making these concepts approachable and um, inspiring in a way that this can be something that's a strategic tool and not just income. What are you thinking about when you think about that? So what you, what's coming to mind, and I and I believe it's part of my value proposition to the clients that I work with, clients and even organizations. So you know, the entrepreneurs organization, I helped hundreds of companies, wasn't through my direct work, but through my leadership. And one of the reasons I, I feel like I'm slightly different or have a different value proposition is I've I've also been that business owner. So prior to putting out this shingle two or three years ago, I was running a company that I bought through a chapter 11 bankruptcy process that I was the CFO before the chapter 11 bankruptcy process. And, and, and being part of that company for the eight years that I was there, and then ultimately ending up being the owner operator really gives me a different perspective to sort of the, the dire straits feeling that you may have in the moment, right? When you looking at your payroll and you think you're not going to make it or your clients aren't paying you on time or to the positive, there's a new business opportunity. There's like somebody who wants to buy you or there's a new client that wants a different service. And in the moment, it's really intense and it's scary for sure. But as time goes by, it's less so, and it's not as dramatic as you thought it was going to be while you're in that moment. And so I bring that to the work that I do. So, so clients or wow. whoever I'm working with, they could be in this panic mode of, oh my goodness, the sky is falling, or oh my goodness, here's this blue ocean that I have to go take in. 
and they can kind of get stuck. And so one of the things that I help provide is a different perspective, a lot more experience. Um, and just like, a you know, another thing that the clients and the companies that I work with, they look at these many strategic decisions as sort of binary, right? It's either a yes or a no. And that's technically not true, right? You could agree to do something and then six months later, change that decision, right? If you bought a house and the house isn't working out, you could ultimately sell it. You might not sell it for what you want, but you're you're probably not going to get zero. So again, it's not almost this life or death feeling or this experience when you're in it. And I help my clients navigate through that when it comes to their finances. Mm. I keep thinking about um, young adults who are faced with all of these opportunities and not knowing what to take next in this sense that everything is going to be hanging on this one decision, like their whole life is going to change on this one decision. And that's how I'm relating to what you're saying, because I know I've, I've worked with a few young people in that way where they're just like overwhelmed deer in the headlights with all the the decisions to make right out of college or right out of high school. And so I, I felt sweaty palms as you're talking about that, that like, oh my gosh, I remember that feeling, that sensation of whatever decision I make is going to affect the rest of my life. And what I like to tell people is there are really only two decisions that can't be undone. One is to have a kid and the other is to skydive. Right. <laughs> you can't undo that. <laughs> everything else, you know, there's some, I I love the way you put that, that it's not a binary decision necessarily. It feels like it's an on or off switch, but it's usually somewhere on a dimmer. Right. You know, it's interesting. I was having a conversation yesterday with a friend who's in my entrepreneurs forum and he's, I I would guess mid thirties, him and his wife have built a very big home care business and he was reflecting to me that he feels like they're in a grind, right? It's just like financially they're doing what the business is doing well, but he just doesn't have the passion for it anymore. And so his contemplation is, is it time to sell and get into something else? And his, you know, one side it's, well, we've got this consistent income. It's really nice. My wife and I are working together. And the other side of it is, you know, we're grinding it out it's not as much fun as it used to be, et cetera, et cetera. And unintentionally um, thinking about your storytelling, my conversation, my response back to him was, well, five years from now, what story do you want to be telling? I didn't say it this specifically, but the message was, what story do you want to be telling? Do you want to tell the story that you grinded out for another five years and you earned another X amount of income? Or do you want to tell the story that you sold the business and you and your wife and your new baby got to do X, Y, and Z or start something new. And you could just see the light bulbs popping on and off. I'm like, do you want to be the, the the one company person or do you want to be the multiple company person? And anyway, it just got his energy level changed. And so we'll oh, see that what happens. Perfect. I love that because there are people who would say, I like this, the, uh, consistency. I like the certainty I have with this. And in five years, I want to still be in that certain place. And then there are others, especially entrepreneurs that are like, oh no, that's not, that's not where I want to go with this. <laughs> I hadn't thought about it that way. 
I love that you gave him that choice because you knew him well enough to know what his answer was going to be. Right. <laughs> well, and that's also part of your natural talent is having that sense of people and knowing before you even ask the question what the answer is going to be, which, yeah, that's pretty amazing. I love this. This has been such a treat to hear your stories and to know that you have changed the way you think about stories, your own and other people's. And I, I'm just so grateful for this time that we've had to to spend talking specifically about that. I don't think we've done that before. No, we certainly haven't. And thank you for for the gift, right? You, over the years, have given me this gift in order to tell stories and see them differently and, and share a lot of your learning. So thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. And it has been absolutely my pleasure because I know the impact you're having on others as a result of that. And as you know, because of what you do, when you set that foundation and you see your clients do something magical with it, it's, I don't think there's anything better. There's nothing more rewarding than to see the ripple effect of your work when you've even played a small role in changing a, a framework or a mindset. No question. Hmm. Thank you, Greg. It has been such a pleasure chatting with you. And I know that we're in touch for the long term because we have been already and that's not going to change. So um, for our listeners, I will have links to Greg's information um, and how to contact him. And if you want to follow some of his writing and blogging, and if you're interested in the entrepreneurs organization that he just stepped down from the chapter president of the DC area, but he has contacts with those organizations across the, the Northeast, correct? Yep. Yep. So I'm part mm -hmm. of the regional council now. So just a normal so, member. <laughs> well, I don't know if I'd go that far, but a normal member. I, I think you're underestimating your impact here, but um we will have all of this information in the blog post, the show notes associated with this podcast episode at your stories don't define you how you tell them will at elkinsconsulting.com. Greg, thank you so much. It was my pleasure, Sarah. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will. I'm putting some finishing touches on a new course, Get the Offer, Job Interview Storytelling that will be available online in early fall 2022. It is so important that this course is truly relevant, helpful, and useful for my clients. So I'd love your help. Would you please email me at sarah at elkinsconsulting.com or complete the form that's linked on the blog post associated with this podcast episode to add your ideas for the course? I'd love to know your biggest challenges when it comes to job interviews, so the content of my online course is exactly what you need. I appreciate your help. Thanks in advance.